This morning, I want to talk with you about the human need, the nature of people, and, and then the, the great blessing that we have of Christ meeting our need. You know, in Romans, the third chapter, and verse 23, we have the great message that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is universal in its great appeal. The sinfulness of man has been pictured in chapter 3 of Romans, chapter 1, 2, and 3, really. And how that without God, man cannot exist. And we need him. We need his love. We need his message. You know, the New Testament, the meaning of, of sin can be only understood and talked about and, and really shared with uh, different people from the Old Testament background. We need to be very familiar with God's dealings with man from the very beginning. The fullest and most profound discussion of human nature in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. There is here disclosed in these three chapters the paradox, the contradiction, if you can understand that word, of human nature, greatness and wretchedness is pictured in those chapters. Majesty and misery are pictured in those three chapters. According to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, mankind, male and female, is made in the image of God and appointed Lord of God's creation. This is the greatness of human beings. What an awesome responsibility we as human beings have. According to Genesis 2, verse 7, the man was made from the dust of the earth with all the weakness of the clay. And as the story unfolds in those three chapters, subject to temptation, Subject to sin, subject to sickness, subject to death is man as we look at him. This is the wretchedness of the human condition of all of us, without an exception. For all the greatness of human life, is the only thing great about human beings is that we can depend on God. That we can depend on God for everything. 
And we are independent, yet we are dependent upon him. And that is so obvious in these three chapters. Of all the competing worldviews, only the biblical doctrine of creation and the fall account of the dual nature of humanity is revealed here in its accuracy. Aspirations and ideals and moments of greatness are revealed here. <clears throat> Yet in these three chapters we see the fall. We see man filled with frustration and failures and fickleness. The first great reality of human nature is revealed in Genesis 3 is the experience of temptation. The temptation came to Eve. Came to Eve through three avenues. She saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was there was a desire to make one wise and smart, intelligent. Genesis 3 and verse 6. The scriptures elsewhere have also let us know about these three avenues of sin. There is, may not be a consciousness of it, unless you point it out and think about it. In 1 John, the second chapter, and verse 16, and verses following, or 14 and verses following, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the love of the world is this, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life or the vainglory of life. They're not of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of the Father abides forever. Now Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, Jesus in the flesh, getting ready to taste death for every man, when he launched out upon his personal ministry, the devil tempted him forty days and forty nights in the wilderness. And he tempted him through these three avenues. Bread, he was hungry, the flesh, to look upon the pride of life. He could be taken upon the temple and he could cast himself down and God would save him. On the other hand, he had the lust of the eyes to look upon everything and he said, I'll make you the king of everything. I own all of these things. I have all authority. So Jesus was tempted in all points like as we yet without 
sin. Luke also has this treated and others. And there's no question that human desires to live life on their own terms is the answer to the sin problem. Man wanted to become God. Man listened to the devil. Eve blamed the serpent. The man blamed Eve. And no one wanted to take responsibility. And yet it was because that they didn't want to listen to God. Now when Jesus came, he let us know that he was God. He let us know that he was the creator. He let us know that he wanted to get us back to the beginning. He had John, his beloved disciple, to write. And in his gospel and in his first epistle, he let him write there, in the beginning was God, and God was with God, and, and there was not anything that had been made that was not of God. And in him was life, and that life was the light of man. And he said, he became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, even the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Now man has a sinful nature. Now man sins, he sins in the spirit, he sins in the flesh too. There is a teaching that we have an Adamic sin. That isn't true. We're on the same basis that Adam and Eve were. God speaks to us today, not through the serpent, but he speaks to us today through his son. In Hebrews, the first chapter, he said, God who had sundered time in divers manners, spake of the fathers of the prophets, after the end of these days, spoken to us by his son, by whom also he made the world, upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had purged our sins, he purged our sins. He forgave our sins. He died for our sins. He paid the price. He sat down at the right hand of God, and he said, Don't be in the driver's seat. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, ye shall find rest unto your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, he looked up in the fields, he said, look on the fields that are white to harvest, and pray ye that the Lord of the harvest will send forth reapers. And he wants people to listen. He wants people to hear him. He wants to offer people uh, the chance to live with him eternally. He came and partook of sin, and he destroyed sin. And he doesn't want us to be in the driver's seat and to make our own decisions. We have to let him enter our lives and allow him to make the decision. And what he did, he came that all people could be one. 
And he prayed more fervently than he ever prayed before in John 17 that all people would be one. That the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles would be torn down. That they would be one as he and the Father are one. And that was his prayer. And he said that they would abide in my words. And when they abide in my words, he said, you abide in me. I abide in you. Now, what are his words? His words are his teaching how we ought to react. One of the things that we haven't gotten as well as we should is that he reconciled everybody to God. When he died, he reconciled everybody to God. He made it possible for everybody to be reconciled to God. He didn't leave anybody out. Now, he came to his own, and his own received him not, but as many of them that received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. That whosoever believes on him, and that he is constantly taking him at his word and doing what he says. They have the power to become the sons of God. And that power to become is to stay sons, to become sons and stay sons. Please turn in your New Testament to Ephesians. You have Galatians and Ephesians. You're there in your New Testament, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Philippians, if you're in Philippians, just turn back one. And I want you to look in, in, in the second chapter of Ephesians and uh, 11th verse. Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, he's talking to Gentiles, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, that is, by the Jews, that in the flesh, that is in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That's easy to understand. Gentiles could understand that. But now in Christ Jesus, now watch this, the answer to sin, the answer to temptation, the answer to man being alienated from God is to be in Christ. You sometimes were far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now what we need to get into our mind is that when we are believing Christ and when we are born again of the water and of the Spirit, we're washed in the blood of Christ. And we're washed in the blood of Christ we are now in eternal realm, a spiritual realm that lasts forever and ever. And Christ is our life. And he can help us. And that's the salvation of, of the world. And we need to share this with people. Look at number 14. He is our peace. He is our peace who made both one and have broke down the middle wall of petition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. That's twice peace is offered. That's used right here. Now, number 16 is that he might make to live again. 
Now, man died. Man was driven out of the garden. Man died a death of the Spirit in the Garden of Eden and brought on himself death of the flesh. But in Christ we are made to live again with God, that you might be reconciled both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. It's slain. We have peace. We have unity. He wants us to keep this unity. In this book, he, he tells us to keep the unity. And came and preached peace to you which are far off and to them that are nigh. Peace is that we're in relationship with God. Peace is that God is in our hearts. Peace is that the Creator came and offered Himself to us, and that's the only way we can get around old Satan. Oh, Satan is still alive. Satan is still attacking us. He's attacking us in our anger, in time of our anger, in time of our losses, in time of our confusion. He's, he's attacking us in the picture that I gave you in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, where we're confused, we're fragmented, we're frustrated. And he'll watch you, and when you're in that position, he'll get you. If you want to make yourself God. The only way we can overcome sin and its stain is to let Christ take over in our lives. Let him be the peace that's in us. He made it possible for us to be at peace with each other and with God and with all men. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. You know the power that causes you to hurdle over the temptations and the trials and the difficulties of life is the fact that we have faith and that we have been given the Spirit when we were born again by faith, repentance, and baptism. It's given eight times in the book of Acts. That's the way that you put on Christ. It's given with baptism at the, fourth, at the uh, uh, concluding act of a person uniting with Christ. And it isn't baptism in water only. It's baptism in the blood of Christ. It's baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's baptism into Jesus Christ, the person of God, and into peace, and into unity, and into harmony, and into the grand, majestic relationship that we have with our God. And the 19th verse says, You're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now, the household of God, according to Ephesians 3rd chapter and verse 15, you can turn over there if you want to in that next chapter, and say, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. It's named for Jesus because he delivered our sins. It's named for Jesus because he's the one who delivered us uh, from the uh, power of old Satan. And he is the one that can help us. And we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself. And I want to make a plea to you. Look at that the fourth chapter of this same epistle in our conclusion. <clears throat> Therefore, the prisoner of the, of the Lord, I beg you that you walk worthy of the vocation for which you're called. We have the same opportunity to walk as Adam and Eve did. The devil, according to Peter, is going about as a roaring lion seeking human made devour. And in the second passage, in the second chapter of this Ephesian book, look at that second chapter. Wherein in times past he walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's old Satan. 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. That's what happens to us when we put God on the shelf and we put ourselves on the throne. God has to be on the throne of our hearts. Christ has to be on the throne of our hearts. Now, when you look at that fourth chapter, I'm going to make a plea to you. And all of us have peace. We have forgiveness that have been baptized into Christ. We have oneness. We have cleanliness. We have deliverance. We have equivalent to the Garden of Eden with all of his promises of, of living, eating of the tree of life and living forever because we have the tree of life within us, Jesus Christ. And the thing we must do is to revere God and Christ and his word. And here he's making the plea, Paul is. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you work worthy of the calling for with your call. And here's the way to have peace and harmony and work together and show to the world that we are the people of God. This is the way to achieve that, is with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, providing one another in love. What a message. And the next verse says, endeavoring, we already have it. In the second chapter, he said, we have our peace. Christ has given us peace. We have reconciliation. We have Christ. We have righteousness. We have the answer to man's dilemma that was given to him and showed to him in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We have deliverance in Christ. Number three is that you and I have a responsibility, brethren. That's the reason I'm pleading to you to come back on Sunday night and Wednesday night and any night that you can. If it's just laziness and something that just you just not have a good habit, come on and, and let's get with it and let's have let's let, let's do what we're supposed to do. Let's show that God is in us and that we have a lost world to message to. Look at the third verse: endeavoring to keep. We have something to do to keep the unity of the Spirit. What is the unity of the Spirit? Deliverance. What is the unity of the Spirit? Peace. What is the unity of the Spirit? It, it's in the bond of peace. Now, we have an obligation in the third verse to keep the unity of the Spirit not in the bond of conflict, not in the bond of hate, not in the bond of ridicule, not in the bond of pouting, not in the bond of, of finding fault, not in the bond of gossip, not in the bond of tearing other people down, but in the bond of peace, love. There's one body, there's one spirit. You're called in one hope of your calling. I want you to turn to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, the second chapter. And he teaches the same thing here about our position in Christ. That's like take the scene that we had in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Take the majesty of man, the domination of man over the creation of God, and yet take a look at the failures and the frustrations and the conflict that he had because he didn't listen to God. 
and put it here. Well, let's listen to God here in Philippians, the second chapter. If there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love in Christ, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit in Christ, if there's any tender mercies and compassion, bowels and, and, and mercies, is tender mercies and compassion and love and adoration for each other, like he says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. Why? Keeping the unity and the bond of peace. This is the fulfillment of that. Having the same love, being with one accord of one mind. And here's the way to achieve it. You know, it's not difficult to go out and tell the people who haven't believed in Christ and who haven't repented and haven't been baptized in the name of Christ and into the body of Christ to convince them if we are a body of people united in love and an outreach, reaching out for people. And this is the application. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, each one esteeming the other person better than themselves. If that's manifested in the body of Christ, we're keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The fourth verse is likewise. You don't look to the things that you want, but you look to the things of others, how to help others. And you just look at that fifth word, let the mind of Christ be in you. Let this mind be in you, which is also in the mind of Christ. And then it tells about how he came and delivered us. Now, he's here this morning, and he's here in every individual who is saying yes to him and yes to his word and yes when he says come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and when he says you confess me before men and I'll confess you before the Father when the person is listening listening to him and he says repent or perish he's listening to him he's going to change and when he said you go be baptized into Christ and put on Christ he listens to him he's going to do it and he'll be added to it now, the Bible is filled with stories. One is the story of a boy who went off and didn't listen to God. And he spent everything he had in righteous living and, 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 and went into the world to where the, he ended up in a pig pen. Didn't have anything but the husk to eat off. And he came back to God. And when he came back, God's love and mercy was extended to him. And he was just, he had his eye on him, and he ran out to get him. But there's another boy that was pictured that stayed there with his father all the time. And maybe that pictures some of us. And he was angry. And he wasn't keeping the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. And he wasn't trying to tear down the barriers that separate them. He was doing right the opposite. He was doing the same thing that Adam did in the beginning. He was putting himself on the throne and taking God off of it. Now, if you want to come, you have to do like the boy that came from out in the world and come to him. doesn't matter what other people say. doesn't matter whether there's somebody pointing their finger at you and thinking you're, you're, you're no good. God makes you an important person. With Christ, you're a winner. It just takes one person in Christ to become a majority. And he's pleading for you. He, with outstretched hands, is looking 
for people to come to him as we stand together and sing.